surface of the earth. And it usually likes to catch fowls and chickens and so on. Now, it has certain attributes that are God-endowed. We can't fly like eagles because we don't have wings. And we can't break the back of our prey because we don't have the telescopic eye to see from several thousand feet above the earth a little chicken that is running on a field. But the eagle does. And when the eagle is that high and he uses a telescopic eye to look at the chicken that is running on the field, just picture it. It means that the target is not stationary. The target is mobile. And the eagle is also mobile. But it takes the eagle just a few seconds to sight the chicken, estimate what speed the chicken is running at, dive down, break the back of the chicken, and have his lunch or dinner or, or breakfast. Now, if the eagle is not prepared, if it doesn't have the attributes that it has, if it doesn't build the skill, if it doesn't practice so that he has the knowledge to be able to judge his flight, judge a chicken's flight, use his power, fly and hit just under maybe six square centimeters on the ground and not miss, the eagle will go hungry. So we can see that in order to take an opportunity, we need all these elements. We need to build the attributes. We need to build the skill. We need to hone the natural advantages we have, which are genetic or character or influence and so on. And then we need to learn, either informally or formally, in order be, to be able to seize the right opportunity. Then I'll go to a favorite book of mine. I'm a Christian, but it's, it's applicable to all rational men. Ecclesiastes 10:11 states that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth, wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happened to them all. It's one of my favorite verses. I'm sure most of you have read it several times and haven't taken the time to try and um, understand what it means in the business sense. In the spiritual sense and in the business sense. It means that whatever natural characteristics you may have, if you are the fastest man in the world, if you are the wisest man in the world, if you are the wealthiest man in the world. It does not mean that you will succeed in taking your opportunities. Because having an attribute, having a skill, having to have a character, having a certain set of circumstances in life does not guarantee success. Time and chance are the two elements. Time and chance. It doesn't mean that you don't have to build your skill, your, your knowledge, or your character or your professional knowledge in a particular body. As I told you, I'm a lawyer. Today, I do so many things that cross many disciplines. Because if you prepare yourself in the discipline of learning intellectually, you become a doctor, a lawyer, a carpenter, whatever, it's a certain discipline. It's a certain framework for thinking, for making decisions. It doesn't guarantee you success. It only guarantees, like the eagle, that you have the attributes to be successful. But time and chance time and chance very important in life time now to invest as the response says the chance now to invest because you have disposable income if it's 20 Ghana city 
you have to forgo something to buy IPAC or some other investment. And we saw the astronomic changes that happened. So time and chance is very important to take an opportunity and being successful in a world that's constantly changing. Opportunity is not the sort of opportunity we're talking about in terms of a lottery. Or going to Las Vegas. Or doing something that you pray, oh God, I hope that I succeed. Please help me succeed in doing this. At the end of the day, opportunity is explained a vision, uh, opportunities explained only in terms of what you've envisaged. Which means that opportunities pass us by every day. In this hall today, there are several opportunities. If you are tuned into the right mind frame. For instance, imagine I have the radio set. If you haven't tuned the radio to Joy FM, there's no way you're going to be able to catch Joy FM's frequency. So it means that before opportunity... You must have a vision. You must have a vision of where you want to go. You must have a vision of what you can do with attributes and the status of life that you are in presently. There's a vision for everybody. It doesn't mean your vision has to be static. It can move, but there are steps. So, vision is explained by addiction as an ability or an instance of great perception, especially, especially of future development. Great perception comes with great focus on what you believe in, what you want to achieve. Because there are so many opportunities in the world. You can't go following every opportunity. But there's an opportunity for everybody based on your own strengths and based on your status and your ability at a particular time. In business, we say that the business is not going anywhere without a vision. It's just like a human being. A business has to be able to tell what sort of future it has, what sort of customers it, it will have, what sort of need it is, it is satisfying. So vision in terms of business or organization say that this must be the stated aims, objectives of a business organization. Sometimes you go into a company and you see a vision statement. That vision statement actually brings the whole team together because today business is a complex interaction of several teams with different skills. They all must understand where they're going. If we set out today and we're going to Accra, we will get there because we know where we're going. But when we sit in the car and we decide to drive around, we will never get anywhere because we have no destination. So for life and for business, there must always be a vision. The vision must inspire the team, must inspire the individual. The vision must be worthwhile. It must bring something in you. That's going to carry you throughout the difficulty of the execution. That is the passion that drives the vision. Now, vision is not only limited to an individual or a company. It can even be the vision of a country. Today, Ghana is on the threshold of discovering oil. And we know that oil does not solve all problems. I know that people in Takradi and in the western region all think that everybody has a barrel of oil somewhere that the government must give them. But we know from experience from Angola, Nigeria, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, the, the African examples, that in the midst of plenty, people are hungry. 
And we can have other good examples like the Norwegian example, where every single Norwegian citizen today has at least one million dollars. Every single person in that country has at least one million dollars in the sovereign fund. So the vision of a nation is important on how the subjects benefit. As the Bible says, when there's no vision, the people perish. We hope that our governments, both the current government and the governments in the opposition, will give us that vision. Because it's not enough just to have natural resources. It's to have a vision on how we're going to structure these resources so that it moves the country forward. It's also true for a country, just like it's true for you, and it's true for companies. Vision is a dream. It's a vision that is inspired by somebody's belief, somebody's passion. But passions and dreams are okay, but they don't get you anywhere. Without having a set of plans, a travel path, a guide as to how you're going to get to the vision, it just becomes a pipe dream. So companies, after communicating their vision, human beings, after finding out what their vision is, need to look at how do we realize our vision? How do we get these opportunities going? We need to have a plan that's workable. We need to have a mission. We need to break down this whole vision, how we're going to execute it. And a mission is defined by the dictionary as a specific task or duty assigned to a group of people. I'm going to give you a line from Robert Browning, the grammarian's funeral, the opening lines. It says, envisage the whole and execute the parts. Envisage the whole and execute the parts. It's very simple. Everything in the world looks complex. Today, when I start to explain to people what we're doing in business and margins, they say, wow, that's very complex. But I tell them, it's not very complex. You can break it down to its very simple components. I'll tell you a short story. So the first night, I went to church, came back home, sat by my pool, took out my new iPod. Then I decided to do, go on Google. So I went to Google. Then I asked the iPod to tell me where I was in the world. So the map came on the iPod, and it could show my house exactly where I was sitting. So I said, wow, this is great. So I called my, my, my watchman, my security guy, and I said, come and have a look. He's called David. David, come, come, come and see. So I gave him the phone. So I said, what can you see? He said, I can see the house. I said, what else can you see? I can see where we're sitting. That's the blue light. I said, yeah. And then he said, boss, what's that? I said, it's Google. He said, what's Google? I said, it's Google Earth. It's pictures of the whole world compressed and stored and tracked by a search engine. So that if you can see your GPL signal or your GSM signal, it connects to that, and it will look for where the signal is coming from. It will connect the signal to the digital map that's already stored, and then get your coordinates. You know what he said to me? He says, hey, boss, white people, they are wonderful. And I said to him, white people are not wonderful. It's very simple. It looks very complex, but it's very simple. Everything that looks complex starts with parts. So I gave him an example. I said, do you see this house? He said, yes, it's a very nice house. And I said, yes. Do you know how, do you know who built it? He says, I know, you built it. I said, yes. But did you see me holding a, a shovel? He said, no. 
I said, okay, I don't understand anything about electricals. I don't understand anything about uh, roofing. But we built a house because first we had the design, then we had the contract, then we had subcontracts, then we had the performance level or quality level for everybody, then we had the budget, then we paid everybody else, and then there's a house. It's not complex. He says it's very complex. I said, that's Google for you. So a mission makes the vision very simple. But how do we seize opportunity when there are several opportunities in the world? There are two things. Like the one talking about gathering. I'll talk about preparation. Everybody, apart from your God-given characteristics and your advantages, maybe you're a better footballer than somebody, you can see better than somebody, has other things that they have to do with your life. They need to find knowledge, whether formal or informal. They need to practice with the knowledge that they have. When you practice with the knowledge that you have, you develop a skill. When you develop a skill, you get a competitive advantage in that segment where your skill is relevant. And when you get a competitive advantage, you learn how to manage that skill in combination with other people and teams to create value. Because you can't do everything by yourself. Today we have companies in five countries. Five countries, ten businesses, and I have to run it as a CEO, but I'm only one person. So I can only do what I can do. In order to manage it, I need to connect with other members of the team who will know what the vision is, will know what the mission is, will plan and will execute the task, will review them, and where we have made mistakes, we'll re-implement, believing that we will arrive. So that management knowledge is important. Like I told you, I'm a lawyer. I didn't go to an MBA school or I didn't have any formal training in finance or whatever. But I've learned all of them. Which means that as long as you can read and you have people that you can talk to to mentor you, you can learn anything. When you have knowledge, then in the business concept, you have to understand the critical success factors of a business. How to do planning. It's not just writing an essay that people read. It's good enough. People write a lot of books, essays, and so on. But they won't work by themselves. You need to plan knowing the critical factors. And it's not a smooth asphalt road. The road keeps changing. There are potholes. At every time, you have to know what is critical and what weight to put on it. When you have all that, then when the opportunity comes, you'll be ready to take it. You can't carry a 100 kilogram weight without training in the gym for several, several hours. You train, you train, and one day when you lift the weights, your muscles can withstand the weight. Now, on top of that, there are certain things that are trusted and tried. Character is very important to be able to seize opportunities, simply because even among thieves, there's a bond of trust. Thieves, their main purpose is to steal from other people. But they need honest partners so that they don't get caught. So, in any enterprise, honesty, integrity brings about leadership, which means that you can have money and you can hire people and they will work for you, but they will not really follow you. But you can have no money and you can be honest, have integrity, have a good future, and you can have people to follow you. So you get leadership. Now, when you have leadership, there's also boldness. There's nothing that's perfect in this world. You can plan and plan and plan. One day you have to cross the road, of course. As Aikoma said in his, in his book, Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born, accidents may occur, but the fear of accidents 
will not stop men from driving. So, boldness. You need to, after the applying, step on the road. Discipline with what you intend to do, with the plan that you set is important. You don't start on a plan when you need money in a small business to buy stock, and you decide that because you have one contract, you're going to use that money to buy a Mercedes-Benz. The discipline to stay on the course is very important, so that you don't veer off. But I haven't said all that about character. There's one underlying element that puts all this together. And I'll quote Napoleon Hill. He says that the starting point of all achievement is desire. Keep this constantly in mind. Weak desires brings weak results. Just as small fires make a small amount of heat. Which means that you can be smart, you're brilliant, you can do finance, you can do sales, you can do marketing, you've written six books, you can speak. But you don't really desire to take an opportunity. People should not take opportunities that they don't feel passionate about. Because they won't get far. Because every, everything in life is difficult to achieve. It's painful to achieve. Whether you're an athlete, you're a footballer, you're a businessman, you're a pastor, you're a lecturer, to be good at your work, you need to be up and bend the midnight oil. You need to be up when people are sleeping to be able to get to where you, you, you want to get to. Because if you don't have that desire or that passion, your excellence and knowledge and character won't get you anywhere. I think my mother's here. Maybe I should tell you what she, she taught me when I was about 10. Priscilla, are you here? I don't know whether she's gone or she's here, but I, I could do the same anyway. It's been what has kept me up. Every time I sit up, sometimes I wake to 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, because I want, I want to solve all the problems before I leave. And sometimes you really have to put in some energy. It goes like, the heights by which great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight. But they, whilst their companions slept, were toiling upwards in the night. So desire is very important. Find the right desire for you. Some of you are good, can be good headdresses. You know McDonald's, somebody who can fry chicken. Set a franchise around the world, which is now a multi-million dollar business. So whatever passion you have, you can drive your vision if you are passionate about it. Now let's talk about certain central, simple concepts of business. In order to identify and be able to sustain a business, you have to understand very simple terms, which is the beginning of economics, that all human beings have unlimited needs. Unlimited wants, let's say. It should be wants. That means that if you have 10 cars, you have it. If you have 20 cars, you have everything, you can have more. But underlying all that, they have basic needs. And people make products and services to satisfy these needs. Sometimes people think, oh, what business are you in? They tell you, oh, me, I make beds. I'm in the bed business. I sell beds. Where beds means a bed that you sleep on. But is this really the business that they are in? One has to identify what is the primary need that one has. 
if you were able to discover the primary needs, maybe instead of saying that you sell bread, you say we, we sell devices that people rest on, or that people sleep on. Because the bread as we understand it today might be different in 20 years. So we'll be able to, able to define that we, we sell things that people lie on. Then it includes all kinds of things. And because we know that people's tastes and beds will change, we can satisfy that need continuously. The bottom line is that in a perfect market situation where everybody has knowledge, people only buy a value proposition. If you sell me a very comfortable bed, I can sleep in, I don't snore, my back doesn't break, and it's eight CDs, and somebody sells me the same bed for 10 CDs, I buy the eight CDs one, because it's a better value proposition. So looking at the needs and looking at the value proposition, whatever services and goods that people make, the value proposition must be good. Because if the value proposition is good, you have a good business. So we've learned about how to prepare for opportunity. We've learned about how to take, a, um, take opportunity by the scruff of the neck. Now let's talk about changes. Change, time and chance and change is, never, is inevitable. That means that the canvas of life always changes. The colors change, everything changes. So you can't be standing still. Even a business changes. What was a good business yesterday might not be a good business today. So I, I just thought that I'll give you the life cycle of a business. It's simple so you can understand. Every time there's a business, you have a startup. You find money, you find something you like, you have a vision, it's a very small plan, you have some targets, you have some cash flow assumptions, you have some uh, turnover, gross profit, operational cost, net profit assumptions. As you start, very small, borrow money from friends and family, start a business and run, it gets into a stage where you have customers and business starts to flow, you have a lot of money to put aside, when you get your income, you get paid by the business, you put some aside, everybody gets paid. Then competitors come in, things change, you have to change things around. After a while, the business becomes established. You have a brand. Now, as you expand, you need to pump in more capital. The business starts taking the money back. You expand, you buy things, you buy cars, you buy more uh, buildings and so on. You start to think, are we really making the money now? Are we on the right track? Sometimes you see that after the expansion stage, the business might get to a point where the competitors have an advantage over you. You don't really have the resources to, to counter the competitors, and the business starts to decline. Beginning into, into real terms, let me create some concrete examples. Let's say we remember that uh, the ice water people used to sell ice water, I remember when I was a child, in a pan, with a cup on top of it. You put a coin in and they give you a cup. And then people said, you can't take water for granted. Sometimes the water is not clean and so on. And the cup might be contaminated. So people started selling water in sashi, saying that this one has been filtered. So the ice water people, they went out of business because they satisfied the same need. Their business had been built. Maybe you bought some tanks. Now every morning you fetch, you bought a fridge, you put ice in, you sold ice water, ice water. Today they're all distinct. Because the business matures, it became established, new entrants came in, there was sachet water. Now there's pet bottle, polyester bottle. Now we have water that is fortified with minerals. So when you drink, it is also medicine. And so the sachet people too have started to come out. 
come down. Then, if they bring vending machines where you press a button and the bottle drops and you just drink, because now the city is much stronger. Then the people who go around selling sachet water in the traffic might also lose business. Now, every business is like that. At the decline stage, you either have to find a new direction, you have to find a new competitive advantage, or you have to exit, meaning that you have to give, sell the business or sell part to it to somebody who needs that plant for, for something else or has the resources to expand it. And in all this, the world around you is changing and there are different opportunities. So that's what it means. This is an opportunity, even in your business, in a changing economic and social system. It means that at every time you need to assess and you need to know where you're going next. Now let me tell you some three classic stories which will probably bring this in perspective. You can't stand still when you have an opportunity. The opportunity of today will not be the opportunity of tomorrow. That's why you need vision. Dr. Frimpong mentioned Warren Buffett, who started investing in 11 years. It means he was very passionate about what he did. And when you're passionate about what you did, you wake up and you're focused. Because you're focused, you'll find the opportunities. But opportunities will not last in a changing world. Now, I'll tell you the great railroad story, which is used uh, here in most uh, business classes around the world. In the 1940s, the New World, America, is such a big country. It's almost the size of one continent. So, railway became a very profitable business because that's the only way you could move people and goods. So, from great cities in America, the gentlemen of the day, the lower classes of the day, the goods that were transported from one place to the other for the, that great industrial period all went by railway. So the people that invested in railway made so much money. They got obscenely rich. And they couldn't imagine what a, a better business would be apart from the railway. So some of them died. And in their roles, they wrote that when we are dead, we want all our money to be invested in the railway forever. Now what happened? The world changes. So even though they are taking the opportunity on the bandwagon of mass transit, railway, several carriages, can carry several tons. They didn't realize that if you seize an opportunity, you have to realize that the world changes. Now, so there came the jet, jet turboprop airplanes, the jet engine, uh, big cargo ships that can carry thousands and thousands of tons of cargo. Vehicles, land trains, you know, articulated track with trailers going double-decker as long as possible. And what happened? The rich men who died and put in their wills that their money should be invested in the railway, the money turned to dust. Because the railway, the return on the railway in the changing economic times declined because there were other substitutes. So instead of saying that they were in the railway business, maybe they should have said they were in the transportation business. Because if they were in the transportation business, as soon as they made planes, they would discover that this is our business. And they could have moved money that they then had into the plane business, into the cargo business, into the articulator business, and the wealth would have multiplied. But by saying that we're in the railway business, taking the opportunity, forgetting a changing world, it led to disaster. Now, there are cycles and trends in life where human beings live, have needs, as I told you, and 
after a while, to satisfy those needs or wants even, it becomes very complex. And it gives an opportunity for a visionary person who understands how to give them what they want, to connect all these things and to give them a product that suits their lifestyle, that they need, and gives them something to go on. So I'm like both of you, I just mentioned Google. But you remember the internet boom. There was a dot-com bubble. People said the internet was going to make a lot of people rich. People built a lot of dot-com companies, sold it for a lot of billions of dollars. It all turned to dust. But in the end, the internet just makes a lot of computers talking together in, a, in the same language. So if you go on the net, you put in www.marginsgroup.com, it finds our server in the States. It talks to it. I'm looking for this address. Oh, go to this state. Go to the server. That's the address. And it pops up on your, on your screen. But all these things are getting very complex. How do you find all these millions of computers around the world and be able to organize the content and make sense out of it? Microsoft, then the dominant operating system company in the world, put Windows on everybody's desktop, 70% of the people. And in those days, I remember when Microsoft came out with Windows. I, I kept thinking, this business is an opportunity for a lifetime. Because I couldn't figure out, how do you get rid of an operating system? Because I got rid of your soul. And people were used to it. So every four years, they brought a new Windows. And people bought more, and they got richer, and they got richer. And Microsoft spent billions of dollars in research, trying to find the next trend. What is the next thing that people will want that will make us a lot of money? But they never ended up with Google. Some students with their lecturers in the garage somewhere put it together, a small vision. We said, if people have all these computers in the world, how are they going to find what they need? Let's write a program that will put all these things together. Let you look for everything that you want. And that was a new value proposition. Now that value proposition is only software. It's now one of the richest companies in the world. In the space of less than a decade, Google has gone from startup to a multi-billion dollar company. So seizing your opportunities, you remember, time and chance have led to them all. It's about preparation. If they didn't know how to program, they wouldn't have been able to, to write what they had. They got to school, they know how to program, they got their time, right, and they took the chance. So seizing the opportunity has to have all these elements. Let's talk about Coca-Cola. I like Coca-Cola because they've been there for a long time. It used to be the Coca-Cola sold what? Coke. That's what they were known for. But then they changed their vision. Into from selling soft drink to saying, we quench test. Test is our primary target. Which means that when you walk and you get hot and you want, you're testy, you should drink a Coke product. That's their vision. So with sugar content going up, people get diabetes. And so Coke has gone into water. They've gone into natural juice. They've got into everything that quenches your test. Quench your test is the vision. So instead of being like the railway people, they identify the primary need and they satisfy that. And as long as they don't lose the trend or forget who they serve or what they serve, the business can go further. So these three stories, in the end, I think the Coca-Cola story shows that when you enter an opportunity, you have the ability, you've planned, you make money, then you have to think, what do we satisfy? If you can find that basic need that you satisfy, then you can extend the opportunity for quite some time. I don't know how much time I have. 
Okay. But um, this may sound a little abstract. I decided to select a group of ours and talk about how we started our business, what we sought to satisfy, and where we are today. It's been a long journey. The Margins Group, we have, I told you we have one group that does identity security products, systems and solutions for access transactions and payments related to people and things. It's very simple. 20 years ago, we started a business with $100 on one table with one red phone. It was even difficult to buy a stamp. And I was still in my final year in law school. In those days, we wanted to put... We had $100 and we had two machines, one laminator, one binder. So our vision was very short. We needed to put in every office that could afford it, a binder and a laminator. Why? Because the computer had come. It's a new trend. Instead of typing and putting fighting and all that, people were printing on laser printers and inkjet printers and so on. Then they wanted to have presentations and go to seminars and so on. How are they going to hold the paper together? Those days, the people that thought they were in the stapling business, they used to staple everything. The thing about staple is that it's not very nice. And when you open it, you can't put the flats on the table. So I recruited the, uh, in fact, all the people were students. They worked part-time and they got commissions. To cut a long story short, having recognized that the computer will need instant printing and instant presentation. We put more than 2,000 binders and 2,000 laminators over Ghana. We figured out that if we did that in 36 months, the average spend per, per customer will be $500. And in 36 months, times 2,000 locations, we should have a million dollars. Between 1990, 13 December 1990, we'll be 20 this year, and 1994, we achieved our turnover of $1 million. Very simple vision, very simple plan, targeted at very simple customers. So from there, the lamination, we used to do lamination, you know, our lamination is for protection, preservation, anti-forgery, anti-counterfeit, and also for, um, for commercial presentations. Now, there's one department in our, our company that used to do ID cards with lamination. We used to take a piece of card, type your name and things on it, put in some security features, put your picture, Laminated, and then you went around saying, okay, I'm Moses Baden. This is my card to prove that I'm Moses Baden. And we used to do it for everybody. The BNI, the police, the army, this lamination. So, one day I was in, I was in Hanover, I think. So I went to a booth. This was 1995. And I saw somebody with a very big machine that was extremely expensive. And he was printing... The ID that I was laminating on a plastic card with a picture. So I said, wow, what's this? He told me, oh, it's an ID card printer. So I said, okay, tell me how it works. So he did. Simple. You take the data, you marry it to a graphics, you print it to a card. So I asked him, how much is the machine? He mentioned an astronomical number, maybe about $50,000 or something like that. And every card was something like $20 in the days that we sold lamination for like 50 cents. So I came back to Ghana, and I told my team that, you know, the world is changing. Very soon, this ID business we're doing, because of the advent of computers, will be bankrupt. We, start, we need to start looking for the new ID. And if that price comes to under a dollar, then the lamination business for ID is finished. 
1995, we started to search. And I said, we have to find the best partners with the best technology. Because if we choose number 10 on the list and somebody chooses number 1, the latter one will become the leader and we will fall behind. So we did some research to cut a long story short. I have only five minutes. Cut a long story short. We did within five years to year 2000, we built a whole new ID platform. We, best, we, we, we licensed the best technologies in the world, in printers, in software, in biometrics, in, in whatever. Today, we still have Margins ID in Ghana, in Denmark, in Zambia, in Tanzania, in Uganda. Because of the anti-railway mentality. We set a target in 2000 that by 2010 we'll build the biggest card production facility in Africa. And we just did that. Of course, it's not without difficulty. Every enterprise is with great difficulty. But we built 4,000 square meters of premium production space on an international level, making us the biggest card factory in Africa. So if you look back and you consider the story I told my driver, and he's saying, telling me that the iPod and Google were very complex. Remember that with $100, we built a company today with a balance sheet. I won't mention it, but it's huge. You know, of course, we, we have several new partners. But we're in a changing world. So our opportunity started with $100. It's now in a multi-million dollar business. Now, every time when you go to register for your national ID, you know the suitcases that people hold. It's configured by Margins ID, together with our partners. Every time you get your national ID card, we make anyone, every one of them. When you get your NHIS card, it's Margins ID. So from $100 to a multi-million dollar business, it takes vision, it takes passion, it takes character, it takes ability, it takes spiritual strength, it takes determination, and most of all, it takes passion. And to all this, time and chance happening to them all. So I'd like to end by saying that change is inevitable. Everybody must be prepared for it. Within change, there's opportunity. With opportunity, you can have a sustainable, competitive, and core competency that can last a long time. The only constant in life is change. Let me end by giving you one of my most favorite quotations. I remember all these things because they stick in my mind because they resonate with me because they connect to something that is eternally true. Those of you who read Shakespeare and Julius Caesar, there's a quotation that I love. It's on the board. But it says, there is the tide in the affairs of men which if taken by storm leads on to fortune. Otherwise, all their lives are spent in miseries and in shallows. Thank you very much.